us, Father, this evening, we just once again want to thank you above all, Lord, as we sang the last song, Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, thank you. We just thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness towards us. Your word says, even when we are unfaithful, yet still you are faithful. We are unfaithful, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. This evening, we just surrender ourselves, mind, body, soul, spirit into thy hands, and we pray you speak to us. Give us understanding, Lord. We need understanding. The days are dark. The times are dark. But you have promised your light will dawn upon your children. Give us understanding. That we know how to negotiate our way through these dark times. Keeping our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Even tonight, as we go back into your word, help us to understand, help us to know, help us to believe. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we come back to teaching mode on Wednesdays. Sundays are more t- preaching and teaching combined, but Wednesdays are almost always. It's teaching. So, have the attentive ears of a student. Okay? Have your notebooks, have your pens, and have your ears open. And may the Lord help us to understand. So, we've been looking, if you remember last Wednesday when we met, we were looking about how... We are born for war or born into a battle. But again, look, because there are newcomers also. But let me continue to explain to us because we need to hear the same truth over and over again until it starts sinking in and it becomes part of us because that's important because Jesus said, if you abide in my word, abide. To abide in his word, we have to keep hearing it so many times until it becomes part of us and we dwell in it. Okay. Scripture talks about God creating, when we look at it, God creating. Primarily, he creates three basic worlds. Okay. When we use the term world, three basic worlds. Okay. Like we will look from our side, our perspective as human beings, as physical beings, we will look from our side. So the first world we see is this material, physical world we see, what we can see, perceive with our senses, five senses. That's one world which he created, the physical world. Then he creates, in that physical world, he has created the world of people and other creatures, the world of people, primarily the world of people, the physical world, the material world, the world of people. And then there is the other world, the third world, which we do not see, the spirit world. Okay, there's a spirit world which we do not see. But when God originally created these three worlds, the world, the physical world, the earth, the physical world which we see, and the people, the world of people and the spirit world, when he created all these three, he had created these three to be completely integrated. Completely integrated. Okay? So you will see, originally when it was created, God could come and talk to man and man could walk with God. So it, all these three worlds were integrated. But sin dramatically affected all the three worlds. Not just one world, all three worlds were very terribly affected by sin. Sin of the devil and sin of man. Our world, that's the physical world of matter, 
was subjected to decay and destruction. How it affected us, this world in which we, which Romans 8, 20 and 21 tells about how our world, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This physical material world went into corruption. Bondage has the world, whole world. This is the effect of sin. Okay, the whole world. In the spirit world, war broke out. It is civil war. Broke out in the spirit world between the evil angels, the fallen angels, and the elect angels who chose. One third of the angels went away against God, and two thirds remained loyal. So scripture talk about what happened in the spirit world in Revelation 12. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. So we didn't see that, but there was an incredible war that took place in the heavenlies, but they did not prevail, nor was the place found for them in heaven longer. So sin had an effect on the world. Sin had its effect in the heavenly realm. There one whole set, one third, we don't know how many billions they are, they were cast out of heaven. So there was war in the heavens and then as a result of it, even in the physical world of people, it divided into two groups. Those who follow God and those who follow the devil and his angels. So it is these three worlds were affected by sin. Unless we understand this, we will not understand into what we are operating in. The physical material world is decaying, corruption It is going, there is no Restoration for this world. It will be destroyed by fire and a new world will be created. The spirit world, war is going on. War is still going on. A continuous battle is going on because the elect angels will always, in answer to the prayer of God's people and God's commands, will always fight on behalf of God's saints. So there is war continuously going on in the spiritual level and in the world. There is those who walk by faith, hear from God, obey, go on God's side, and those who are deceived or those who openly align with the enemy. So there is this. Three worlds and the effects of sin. So every child of God who is born again, like we said last Sunday, last Wednesday, is born into the battlefield. And the battle is for his soul or her soul. This is the spiritual battle. The bad news is we are born into a battle. Like the most simple, visible illustration is like the giraffe. You know when the giraffe, that baby is born, as soon as it's born, the mother kicks the baby so that it stands up and starts walking. Because the mother knows if it doesn't start walking, it is prey for the hyenas and the leopards and the lions that are there. So as soon as the baby is born, the mother starts kicking the baby so that the baby gets up and starts walking and has to move to a safe zone. So the Giraffe's mother knows its baby is born for battle. And if it doesn't walk, it's gone. Okay? And God's children doesn't realize, but we need to realize we are born. The bad news, you are born again, but born again into, right into a battlefield. But what is the good news? The good news is, 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God, it overcomes this world. The good news is, if you're born of God, you're born born in victory and born unto victory. 
So keep that always into mind. You cannot escape this battle. And much of the battle is fought here. One here before it can, the victory can be manifested. That's why we come to the hearing of the word of God. So we are on the 38th, 8th day of our fasting. And uh, last week we were looking. So I'll continue a little, recap a little or maybe a little more than that of what we looked last week. Because one of the fundamentals of war Okay, fundamentals of war is that when we are born into a war, you need to know your enemy. One of the, if you look, if and if you read news and watch news, one of the struggles of the war we are facing in the 21st century is the war against terror. And the problem against the war with terror is you don't know who your enemy is. You don't know. That's the way the devil fights. The war on terror actually is a very Good example about how we are fighting our spiritual battle because the only thing you can know is be prepared, be armed and be watchful 24-7 in the war against terror. You cannot go to sleep. You need to know your enemy, you need to understand your enemy and you need to understand how the enemy operates and be always be watchful. It's the same way in our spiritual battle. We need to know our enemies. What am I fighting? What is this war? So we know it well, but let's recap. In Romans 7, 23, scripture says, I see another law in my members, inside the members of my body, warring, fighting against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. I see there is a war inside me. In my mind, when I have received understanding of the law of God, I understand this is what I have to keep. This is where the way of victory, but inside I see daily a war. There is a war. And it is in my members of my body, in my flesh, there is a war. And in that war, what I actually, he's talking about his experience before understanding the liberty in Christ Jesus is that every day in that war, I lose. I lose. My members are brought into captivity of sin. There's no victory. I realize inside I am always, always, Paul is saying, the unsaved Paul is saying, the struggling Saul of Tarsus is saying, I realize in this war, my flesh always was winning. So first you need to realize the war, your first worst enemy is not outside, is inside, is inside. The second we know is we are not fighting with flesh and blood. We are fighting with powers of darkness. The second enemy, Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age. Second enemy, the powers of darkness. There are so many different levels we are fighting. Okay, There are principalities, there are powers, there are rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness. Different levels of them are there. And we, we, we will only get to understand that when we really get into spiritual warfare and get as God moves us on. But remember, we are living and fighting this battle, second battle, with powers of darkness. Then third, we fight the world, the world system. And Jesus told very clearly about that in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 19. Understand this very well when you get into this world. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So don't wait and look for the approval of this world. The people of the world. We understand the world system. But we are now he's talking about the people of this world. You stand for Jesus, the world will hate you. 
And he will hate you because it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you, love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Understand that. He says, be very, very careful. Be very sure about this. The world does not love us. The world hates us. And if the world loves us, that means we don't really have a genuine testimony of Christ. We have our testimony in the world, but we do not have the testimony of Christ in the world because the world hates Christ. And Mark 13, 13 says, Jesus again said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So understand this battle. As we progress spiritually, we will fight the battle with the flesh, the battle with the powers of darkness, and the battle with the world. Now when I talk about the world, I am not talking about the things of the world. That is temptation. I am talking about the people of the world, which will forever try to make us conform to their ways. And we have to fight this battle. Okay? So these three work together. To further the agenda of the enemy. So how do we fight this battle every day? Every day. Every day this is a battle. Tomorrow morning you will wake up to this battle. It's fresh battle every day. Yet, the answer is only in Christ. There is no way we can fight this battle. There is no way we can win this battle. Only in Christ. And we saw that verse last week in 2 Corinthians 2.14 where God says, But thanks be to God. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. If you and I are in Christ Jesus, then God leads us. The Spirit of God leads us. So scripture says, as many are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And when he leads us, how does he lead us? He never leads us in defeat. He always leads us in victory, in triumph. He leads us in triumph. He leads us in victory. Meaning, if you think about tomorrow, the 8th of June, as a new day, and you are being led by the Spirit in his power, in the word of God, over the flesh, he gives you victory. Over powers of darkness, he gives you victory. And over this world system, he gives you victory. And he takes you in victory. That's the guarantee. Okay, Always. Mark that word, always. So, we also saw last Wednesday. So, the first thing in this battle we need to know is, we have to learn to stand. We need to learn to stand. Take your stand. So, in Galatians 5, one scripture says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. When Christ set us free, we were standing in the liberty of the Spirit. Not pulled by the flesh, not pulled by the powers of darkness, not pulled by the world. Though it, they are there, we are not being led by them. He brought us to that liberty. He says, stand there, because every day the devil, the flesh and the world will come to take us out of that liberty. Stand. And we saw last week about the various ways the devil will try to entice us, our flesh, into the world so that we may sin against God and lose our liberty. We lose that freedom. Okay? And James, in chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, give, tells us very clearly, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He never tempts us with evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But he allows the devil to tempt people. 
But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, his own lust. Like I said, we have common lust, but it is still not the same. Each one is drawn by their own desire. Whatever is strong in you, whatever you have indulged in you, that becomes strong and the devil knows it very well. He uses the world to entice because he knows the desire in your flesh and uses an appropriate temptation from the world to draw you. And when you are drawn away, this is the first step you have to handle. When you are drawn away, you are enticed. So we looked at it and we said, the devil tries to entice people. He entices people. He he uses different ways to tempt people to sin against. The purpose of temptation is to sin against God. And God allows temptations to prove that in Christ, his children can always overcome temptation. Overcome temptation. Always. So that he wants to diffuse the victory of Christ, the fragrance of Christ in the spiritual realm. The devil wants to put God to shame through the defeat of his children. So this is constantly going on. And God says, go ahead. Go ahead. I am not ashamed when my children fall. If they rise up and come back to me, I will again allow them to fight and allow them to win so that I can show. Because he is a father. Okay, So this is this constant battle that is going on. The whole purpose of the devil behind temptation is to get us to sin against God. And why do we sin against God? Because we lift our own ideas, our own feelings, our own experiences above the word of God. We fail in this battle. How do we fail in this battle? Because we do not put our eyes on Christ Jesus, the word of God. So in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 to 6, scripture says, we have to cast down, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why have we come here? We have come here to know the knowledge of God. Because in my mind, your mind, there are so many arguments, so many imaginations, which forever tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Okay, The minute I go by that, I have sinned. I fall for the temptation of the enemy. How do I overcome him? When these arguments come in the mind, you have to exalt the knowledge of God above it. And then, so the battle it is, we have to bring every thought to the captivity, to the obedience of Christ. That's how Christ obeyed. Christ brought every thought to the captivity. And God says, in Christ, you also can. So how do we demolish all these arguments? By comparing it with the word of God. That is, like I said, that's one of the main purposes we gather here. Because every battle is first won or lost here. If you lose it here, you will lose it outside. If you win it here, you will win it. If you win it here, then by an act of will, you will enforce it outside. Today, as we go further, I want to look at one particular verse in the Bible. If we understand that, I was telling the pastors also in many places that we understand this, we will understand our primary struggle. That's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. We looked at this many, many months, maybe a couple of years back. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the first Adam, 
Okay, the first Adam, the first original man who was created, became a living soul. Can I have KJV? Okay, a living soul, while the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was what? A living soul, and the second Adam was a life-giving spirit. The second Adam, the last Adam, not second Adam, the last Adam is Jesus Christ. The first Adam is the original Adam. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Understand this difference between these two. In Genesis 2-7, when Adam was made, just like all the animals made out of earth, out of dust he was made, God did something. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. At this level... Man is similar to all animals. There is no difference. They are also of dust. We are also of dust. But here the difference comes. Here he did something with man. He did not do with any other creation. He breathed into his nostrils. And man. We have to go back to KJV. This is a wrong translation. And man became a living soul. Man became what? A living soul. Adam became a living soul. Okay. So Adam is a living soul. He's not a living spirit. He's a living soul. Jesus rises after his resurrection. The first resurrection Sunday evening. He comes to the room where all his disciples are seated. And the first thing he does. First thing he does. In John chapter 20. Continue with KJV. Okay? John chapter 20. What he does. Look at it. When he had said this. He breathed upon them and said. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What he had done with Adam. Now he does with his disciples. They do not become living souls. Because they are already living souls. They all become living spirits. Okay, understand the difference. Every man who is walking in the world and not born again is a living soul. Everyone sitting here born of God is a living spirit. So when you see them, don't see them with the same eyes. They are of the first Adam. We are of the last Adam. They are living souls. We were living souls. But if we have been born of the spirit, we are living spirits. This is the difference. I, I will explain to you. I want that first PowerPoint, Richie, you have it over there. This, this is not a circle, but look at this as your body. Your body. Our body is the container of a born again person. You have a spirit, you have a soul, you have a flesh within the body. This is, let's say, Peter. Born again believer. This is how he looks. This body is the container. This is the spirit. This is the soul. This is the flesh. In PowerPoint 2, the body of an unbeliever. He has a soul and he has a flesh. He's not born again in the spirit. He has a soul and he has a flesh. Now in the third PowerPoint, we will take the soul and define what is the soul. The soul of a man has intellect reasoning. He has the will and he has emotions, feelings, senses, all that is over there. All from here comes the outside influence. Okay? If you are an intellectual person because of knowledge, outside influence comes over there 
through your intellect, you make a decision and enforce with your will and your body acts. If you are an overtly emotional person, there is an outside influence that comes upon your emotions and your emotions will speak to your will and in your will you will make a decision. This is how we make decisions in life. Never underestimate the soul of man because the soul of man was breathed in by God. That is why man is the only among God's creations who is able to create. Whatever this, those who talk about evolution talks about, none of the animals can ever do anything that man can do because they were not breathed in by God's soul. Okay, that's the difference between us and them. And the devil knows it. So when demonic influence and human influence comes together, it's a very powerful combination. Very, very powerful combination. The, as Lucifer was made perfect in wisdom and perfect in in beauty, and Adam was breathed into his soul and made a living soul by God. These two come together against God. It's a very powerful combination. Very, very powerful combination against God. Not that they can do anything to the creator, but it's a very, very powerful combination. This is how it happens. The soul. Now when a man is born again, the spirit comes over here. Okay, the spirit comes over here. The God doesn't speak to the intellect. He speaks to the spirit. The spirit starts telling the intellect. The intellect has to tell the will and if the will makes a decision, the emotions have been taught to follow. Everywhere in the center there is the will. Therefore God says, this day I said before you, life and death, you choose. That's the center of the will. With your will, you will choose. You will choose. This is how it works. In the spirit of fear. Now can we go PowerPoint one? Let, can we go to the first one? Keep the mind of the soul in the beginning. So here there is the intellect, there is the will, there is emotion, and there is the flesh too. So God says, Put to death the works of the flesh. The spirit will tell, don't listen to this fellow at all. Renew your mind. That old mind is not good. It has got too much information which is outside of God. Don't listen to that. Renew your mind with the word of God. And let your emotions be controlled by the spirit. Make decisions in the will according to that. That is what it means to be led by the spirit. But most Christians still live like the other man. They are living souls. They are living souls. They are living souls. And you will see that is a struggle. So honestly, if you look at so many Christians whom I meet... They might be extremely good Christians, but they are under the old covenant. They are not under the new covenant. Every living soul is under the law. Every quickened spirit is outside the law, is free of the law. There is this daily struggle going on. This daily struggle going on. Understand how it works. So, 
That's what we were looking at last Wednesday. Now, the issue here, if you come to PowerPoint 3, there are so many permutations and combinations in this. Because remember, there is also the flesh. Okay? There is also the Some people, this is not developed at all. Because they are not interested. So, even when the Spirit speaks the Word of God, it is received with this, not with this. Received by what? The emotion. So you will see Sunday morning they are jumping, Monday morning they are gone. Very excited because they have dealt it only at the emotional level. There is no reasoning here. Understanding, knowledge, wisdom, all is here. Reasoning over here. And God says this part is important. You have to grow here. This is where the mind of Christ is developed. The mind of Christ is developed. And we come for the study of God, of the word of God, for this to be developed. In the You in the world, the soulish man goes to the world for this to be developed. Same place. Your intellect is developed. You are good in science, you are good in physics, you are good in math, you are good in chemistry, all that. That's of the soul in the world. But in the word of God, here is where you get developed. When you get developed here with the word of God and the mind of Christ, you start understanding the spirit behind physics, the spirit behind the biology that is taught, the spirit between the maths that is taught. You understand the spirit behind all this is taught. Have to work on this. But keep this. Jesus said, if you will to do the will of God, then you will understand my doctrine. This is the key. Every day, the will is there. The problem is the will is that the will can be weakened. Can become weaker and weaker and bent in one direction. In the way of the flesh. Or the will can be bent in the way of the, of the spirit. It's a discipline. Constantly. Constant. And that is why we say, put to death the flesh. Constantly keep it because otherwise what will happen as you grow older and older and older, the flesh is not getting weaker. It is only getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So it doesn't matter how much information you may receive in your intellect in the church, the will will still go the other way. In the head, you know it's all right. But arguments rise. Lots of arguments. Because the will is bent in the other way. God says, don't. Don't. The danger of it. So we saw in James chapter 1 and verse 14 that we are enticed. The devil tries to entice us. Okay, Rambas, last Wednesday, the devil, and I also said there are two types of enticement. One is making something that is dangerous look special. Right? Dangerous look special. God said, if you eat of this, you will die. The devil said, no, you won't die. Made it look very, very special. That's how the devil sells dangerous things. Dangerous things. Have you ever seen a dangerous advertisement of Coke? No. It is dangerous. Don't tell me it is not dangerous. Then why are the farmers using it as pesticides? If it is not dangerous. They do use it. In Andhra Telangana has pesticide. This is a very good pesticide. But have you seen any advertisement showing it to has pesticide? No. 
it looks at that's the coolest thing to do. And we have big, big stars endorsing it. The devil will take something that is dangerous and make it look special. Special. Other thing we looked is that it will take that is something that is special, that is holy in God's sight, make it look common. This, these two traps. Two, two traps. Something that is special that because last night we had a very long discussion. Pastor uh, Eric and Pastor Vijay and we were sitting, we were talking about dress code for pastors. Why? Why worship team in many, many, many places they have the gowns over there? Because this is a very special place. Old and New Testament. A very special place. And that special place should not be made to look as common. Should not be made to look as common. There is danger. We get very familiar with holy things. Uzzah, because the ark had stayed in his father's house for so many years, he became very familiar with the ark. Look, using a modern day example, he must have been in a small house and one room the father has kept the ark. When he's going to brush his teeth, the ark is there. When he goes to eat his breakfast, the ark is there. Every day you see the ark. But the ark has never changed. It still signifies the presence of a holy God. But one day when the ark is going and the ark stumbled, because you are so familiar with it, you put your hand and you died. The ark never changed. You changed. You became very familiar with something which was very holy. You made it look common. So this is how the devil entices us. Either by taking something that is dangerous and makes it look special. And then you are enticed by it. And before you know, you are spiraling down the road to death. Because at the end of it, scripture says, is sin, full grown, death. It looks very, very, very special. Okay. Look, ask David. He will tell you. So many wives, so many concubines, but when he's on the rooftop and he sees this woman bathing, she looks so special. Yet it is danger. Incredible danger. But at that time, no warning bells, nothing is going on. It just looks so special. Who is she? Calls, who is she? Oh, that's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Bring her. Begins a motion, which will finally lead to the division of the kingdom and the destruction of Israel and going into captivity. Where did it start? Babylonian captivity and the destruction and the dispersion of Israel to the ends of the world. If you ask, where did it start? It will say, it started when this man went to the roof and looked at a naked woman. That's where it started. The devil said, she is special. God said, it is not. It is not. A lot of young people, a lot of people, you will ask them, no, how did it, where, can you track back, trace back and say, look, when we talk to them, they'll say, look back in your marriage, your marriage is in shambles, everything is gone. It's, but can you look at a point and tell me where did it begin? They will say, as the first time I watched porn, I can look back and actually say that was the beginning of the destruction. That's where it began. Because I looked at another woman and thought she was special and then my wife became ordinary. You don't realize how the devil entices people. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Entices people. The whole purpose of temptation of the enemy entices us to sin in one way or another. One way or another so we sin against God. 
So we looked at enticement. Two, we looked at the devil deceives deception. Deception and enticement are not the same. Okay, they may look similar, they may have common areas, but they are not the same. Okay, they are not the same. We are not looking at deception because we have looked so much into deception. Third one, remember we looked on Wednesday was, don't despise your inheritance. We looked at Esau, right? Esau's inheritance was by seconds, by seconds, he was the firstborn. With the firstborn as an inheritance. Only people like uh, Pastor Vijay's father sitting over here, all those who worked in government offices, government, they know it. If you join service in the morning at 10 a.m. and the next man joins service in the afternoon at 1 p.m., when promotion comes and both of you are, you get it. Why? Because you joined at 10 a.m. It doesn't matter whether it came on the same day. The one who joined at 1 p.m. doesn't become the boss. You become the boss simply because of seniority. That's how it goes. So Esau, by the very fact that he was born, is a firstborn and he has the inheritance rights. But he despised his inheritance. And God says in Romans 8 and verse 17, if children, if we are God's children, really children, then what we are? Heirs. What does the word heirs mean? It means we have an inheritance. Heirs. And who? Heirs of God, not heirs of man. All sitting here are heirs of God. And what kind of heir? Joined heirs with Christ. Joined heirs. We have been joined with the firstborn. Joined heirs with Christ. If so be that, we suffer with him that we may be glorified. Only on one condition. We share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. If we, not sufferings of sin. A lot of people sin and they suffer in their life and they say we are suffering because of Christ. No, you are not. You are suffering because of your sin. Repent. Let God give you the grace to handle it. But sufferings of Christ are a different thing. God says, if you suffer with Christ, you will also reign with him. You will be glorified together. But here, what happens if you look at an entire spectrum of theology that is preached today? What do they do? They despise suffering. If you preach suffering, they will not call you back to that church. If you preach suffering, people get offended within churches. If you talk about the sufferings of Christ. One of the most prominent preachers in India who comes on TV, God TV and all, he said, Jesus died for me. What do you want me to do? Why are you talking about On TV, he said, in from the pulpit, and I was in his church that day many years ago, and I heard him say with his own mouth, what do you want me to do? Go and hang on the cross myself or what? That's how he said it. The big name. I'm not mentioning name. Very big name. What do we do? He makes us despise our inheritance. People despise suffering. But God says if you don't suffer with Christ, you will not reign with him. You will not reign with him. In Galatians 4 and verse 1, I say that an heir, okay, heir is somebody who has an inheritance, as long as he is a child, he differs nothing from a servant. There is no difference between a child and a servant. Actually, servant has more powers. Though the child has more privileges. When my children were small, if I went somewhere and my maid was there, I used to tell them, listen to what she says. She's the boss, not you. She's the boss. And when I come back, the first thing I ask is, Nene, were they good? If not, you are in trouble. So God says over there, heir as long as you are a child is no different than a servant. What is he talking about? 
How does a child become a spiritual young man through spiritual training? And you know what? Almost every church, they despise the training of the word and the spirit. People can't handle it. Handle it. They despise it. They despise it. Everywhere. Most of 15 minutes, don't exceed more than 15. 20 minutes. Oh, people can't handle it. Pastors despise it. You will see on Saturday, many coming very eagerly. Some will sit in the back. As soon as worship starts, they will go to sleep. And when I say it's time for lunch, there is an awakening. They go eat, come back, and they go back to sleep. And these are pastors. Despise spiritual training. As long you cannot be spiritually trained, you will be always a child. Yes, God is your father. But there is no inheritance. There is no inheritance. We despise spiritual training. You look at it and you will see, don't be inside struggle with prayer, with reading the word. Now children all have holidays, two months, three months holidays. Honestly, if you had to tell you, I don't even ask you. Honestly ask, this was the time you could have spent time in spiritual disciplines. Did you? No. Why? Because you despise your inheritance. Despise your inheritance. That's what God says. But we don't even realize it's a subtle trap of the enemy. Very subtle trap. He knows. You know what? This guy is born again. And according to the scripture which I know is true, which we don't believe, he believes it is true. This guy is supposed to rule over me and judge me one day. You know what? I'm going to see that he's not going to judge me. And I know how to entice him. I'll see that he despises his inheritance. Despises his inheritance. So be careful. If you remain spiritual children all our life, then when the day of judgment comes, God says, you are my child, come in. But you will inherit nothing. You cannot, because it was meant for those who overcame. Fourth one we looked on Wednesday was, the, the, the subtlety of numbers, how the devil uses numbers, okay? The mob psychology. Whenever we see numbers, a large group doing something, automatically we follow that. The, 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 the pressure of numbers and young people face that very difficult. It's called teen pressure. School, that's one of the primary fundamental reasons that all over the world after a time the governments introduced uniform because of pressure. Then from uniform, the government schools went to the second step of saying, we will supply the uniform. Why? Because you say blue, and blue is the uniform, the fellow who is rich will come in the most expensive blue. All are in blue, but he will say, my blue, you know how much this cost? You have to understand the fundamentals behind why these things were brought in, because the whole idea is this. The pressure. Numbers. Then everybody. So the fellow who had a, he was happy in the morning, first day of school, he was very happy. Dad got me a new shoe, a new trouser, and this thing comes back unhappy. Why? Because his friend has got shoes which are more expensive, trousers which are more expensive, shirt which is more expensive, but the color is the same. Pressure. Pressure. That's one of the reasons people are not happy. On the other hand, we should be the most happy set of people because we have God as our father, heaven is our home, and the earth is our inheritance. But nobody is happy. Why are you not happy? Because of the people, the numbers. We look which way the majority is going. 
And numbers is a very, very subtle trap. And we saw on Sunday, on Wednesday, that even prophets like Micaiah, they fall to that trap. So many, I can't tell you the number of pastors who have told and who have fallen on the way. When they started, they were so good. But they saw the numbers, the big ones all shifting and the crowd is shifting. It is the same thing. When you see 400 prophets preaching one thing and you know it is wrong, but you still don't want to stand up alone because I am minority. Let me go along with them. And pastors under pressure starts changing. Start changing. They start changing. The pressure. This spiritual discipline. Then what happens? Because he changes under pressure, the spiritual discipline goes. Like one of the places where I went last month, that old pastor who started the church was telling me, Pastor, in the old days when I started, and we had services in the night, and all my church members were laborers, workers in the tea garden. And the meetings were all in the night. And when we had meeting in the night, and if it was at 7 or 7.30 in the night, they eat and come and the meeting goes on till 10 or 11 in the night. Then they go back home. He said, all I had to was stand here and watch. And all over the hills, I can see people coming with their lanterns. And I see the lights moving towards the church. I know it's my sheep coming to be trained. But today he says roads are there, cars are there, bikes are there, electricity is there. It is so difficult to get them to come. They don't come. It has changed. You know, That's the story. That is the truth. That is the truth. So we will see how the devil using the system, the powers of darkness, the world, the flesh, how it fools us. Numbers, okay, we see all the numbers going in one way, we'll all start going in that way. Then fifth one we looked on Wednesday was the false security of secrecy. Because it is not found out, it is not found out. Like one pastor called me up today from another state and he asked me, Pastor, Ananas and Safira died in the church, though what they did was done in secret. I am asking you this question. That happened in Jerusalem. If they had belonged to that Corinthian church, would they have died? I said, no, they wouldn't have died. Corinthian church, a man was living with his stepmother. He didn't die. In the Jerusalem church, somebody secretly kept half and gave half the offering. He died. This false security, because you are not found out and nothing seems to be happening, it gives you a false sense of security. On top of that false sense of security, because everything is hidden, nothing is revealed, comes a false prophet and prophesies over you, you are going to prosper. Enough. I am fine. Sixth one for today, which we didn't look last time. Understand the ways of the enemy, how he operates. Okay, you have to understand. He's a terrorist. Remember, okay, this is the original terrorist. He operates under different, he may be living next door, like the terrorists of 9-11. Remember, they were all living next to all, they looked like nice neighbors, very polite. Yes, sir. How are you, madam, and all? And then they blew up. All those buildings. So the terrorists understand the devil will look like the smile. Like people were telling me, asking me some, last week also somebody was asking me about the Antichrist. I said, you, let me tell you something about the Antichrist. Six is the number of man. And 666 is the perfection of man. So when you're thinking about the Antichrist, 
unless you have spiritual discernment, he will be the smartest, the most good looking, the most powerful speaking, the most talented man humanity has ever seen. It will be so difficult for you to believe this is of the devil. Be careful. That is how everybody in the world has been messed up because we don't know what beauty is. Beauty is all in the eyes now. Eyes, outward. Everybody wants to look fair. Everybody wants to look handsome. Everybody wants... It's all outward. All outward. Everything outward. Everybody wants to look young. Everyone has their hair dyed. Everything. Everything is all outward. And Antichrist will come like that epitome of it. When he speaks, people will be stunned by his charisma. He probably will speak, sing, he will do everything. Irresistible to the flesh. And they will say, that's the one we want as king. Understand the subtlety. That's why we have to be trained in the spirit and have to learn to hear the Holy Spirit speak to our spirit and discern it with our intellect. It's our soul, spiritual discernment. That's why eight times, if I'm right or more, in the book of Revelation, God says, all those who have ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit says. So, the sixth one, bargaining. Bargaining is not despising. It's not just enticing or deceiving. Bargaining is what happens when you go to the market. Can you see what you can gain by this one act? He's selling something to us. It's not enticement. It is not just appealing to your eyes or your flesh. It's appealing to everything. Appealing to everything. And it is the appeal to the third one, the pride of life, which is the most powerful. In the first temptation in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, look at the final clincher to the to, to Eve. You shall be as gods. You shall be as gods. Not only is looking good to the eyes, it's good, you'll be smart, you'll be like God. You'll be like God. Bargaining. You getting the picture? Madam, if you buy this dress, I think you look like Aishwarya Rai. That's it. I'm taking it. He sold it to you. Sold it to you. That's how they sell it. Have you ever seen an advertisement where a model looks bad to the physical eye? No. Because the model is a bargaining chip. Didn't make God make all humans the same? Not in the world. God made them same. He sees them all with the same eyes. Not the world. So God is asking, how are your eyes? With what eyes do you see? What eyes do you see? Ask yourself. Like God? Wow! She bit it. You know, the devil works on this assumption and he has got 6,000 years of experience and he's often very right. He knows, he thinks almost every man or every woman has a price. Surprise. Often heard example, still has to be repeated. Man traveling in the plane, lady next 
sitting next to her. She's got a wedding ring. She's a pretty looking lady. The man looked at him and looked at her after some time and said, Ma'am, are you on a visit? She said, yes. He said, I have a deal, offer for you. One night, that's all I ask, with me, a million dollars. She said, married. She said, he said, yes, I know that. No conversation. After quite some time, when the plane is about to land, she said, is the deal, deal still on? And he said, are you willing? She said, yes. When they were about to exit, she said, okay, where are you staying? He said, there's a little change. She said, what? I've changed the price. It's $10. She was angry and she said, what do you think I am? He said, that was already decided when you agreed. We are now haggling for the price. Now we are bargaining for the price. When you said yes for a million dollars, you already decided who you are. Now we are haggling for the price. The devil works on the assumption. Everyone has a price. Has a price. God says, do you know your price? Your soul was redeemed, not by gold or silver, not by the blood of gold or it was redeemed by the blood of my own son. Do you know the price of your soul? What price have you set on your soul, he is asking. This is the bargaining chip the devil uses because he works on this assumption. So you will see the temptations coming in bargaining and Balaam is weakening and weakening and weakening. They bring gifts and he said, no, I can't do it. And he still goes and asks God, should I? And then he comes out, even if you give me a room full of gold, I will not be. You can see he's weakening. He's weakening. God knows I can't hold this fellow too long. He's already going. So he says, okay, go. Go. But don't say anything against Israel. And he happily goes with them. Because his mind is full of gold is coming, gold is coming, gold is coming. Bargains. He went to Jesus. When, to, when it came to Jesus, the devil knew, this is, a, this is the toughest one I have ever had to crack. He said, you know what? You come with me. And showed him all the nations of the world and their glory. He said, you know what? All I ask you is, just bend your knee. It's yours. It's yours. He didn't offer him little small thing. He knew if he had to get him, he had to offer him everything he had. And he offered him everything that he had. And Jesus said, no, it is written. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and nothing else. It is written. Bargain. When this threefold temptation comes, telling you, it is very, very powerful. Eve fell, Jesus stood. First was the temptation of the food, the temptation of, of the pride of life, everything. He went through the whole nine yards, but he stood there. Look, let's look at another example of how Joseph faced it. Genesis 39 and verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against his God? Okay. First appeal, I believe, is the appeal to the eyes. I believe because she is the wife of the, one of the top 
men in the Egyptian realm, she must have been an extremely beautiful woman. So when it comes to the eyes, it's very appealing. Second, she's offering him lust of the flesh. She's offering him sex free. Okay? First two temptation. Third one, she's appealing. The devil through her is appealing to the pride of life. What is he telling? You know what? In this house, there is none greater than you, than my, my husband. He has given everything into your hand, except one thing. Except one thing. Many men pursue sex, not for the pleasure it gives, but for the thrill of the conquest. Women too. Thrill of the conquest. I've got one more notch in my life. One more, one more, one more, one more, one more. It's not pleasure anymore. It's the thrill of the conquest. And that's exactly what I was saying. You know what? Only one. This temptation is not coming from a servant maid. Or any of the slaves. This is coming from the mistress of the house. Only one woman is unapproachable for me. And I'm being offered it as a platter. It feeds into your ego. Feeds into your ego. Look at it. That's what is feeding into it. He has kept back anything from me. My master has given me complete power and authority over the house, over everything I have power, except you. Now that is being offered to me as on a platter. It's an incredible temptation. It is not just the temptation of the eyes or the temptation of the flesh. It is the temptation of the pride of life. You know, that's how the devil, as you move further and further and further battling this, he will come at different, different levels, different levels. Like I said, there are many who are pursuing wealth, not because they want wealth, but because they are pursuing it as an agenda. How many more billions do you want? What are you going to do with this? Nothing. Why are you pursuing it? Because I have to prove I am the best. I am the best. Pursuing wealth, position, sex. And the devil traps them with his bargaining power. That is the pride of life. Pride of life. And ultimately, you know, they come down. They fall down. It's like this, like I said, the seller at the store, at the shopping mall or whatever, he final pitch, you fall. He said, okay, that's it. I am ex- I'm in the exclusive club. So every year they will publish the 50 top richest people in the world. And everybody is trying to get into it. The fellow, his 51 is trying to get into the first 50. I mean, how much do you have? I have around 8 billion. Are you satisfied with? No, why? Because I'm not in that 50. It's just a number. And that's what Jesus calls that rich man. You fool. You fool. What are you going to do with all this thing? Don't you know today your soul will be called to account? That's why we have to know the ways of the devil. How he entices you. Even in ministry. All these new young ones are so much caught. They want, they have seen somebody on TV and they want to be like him and have advertisement all over within one year, two years. 
And they get upset with me. They come to meet me. They say, Pastor, can I meet you? I can meet you. Okay. God has told me to start a church here. I said, okay. So what have you done? No, I have rented a hall. And I bought sound system. And now I got, and I said, how many people do you have? Five. I said, for five people you need all this? You need all this? Where did you get this from? They get so upset. Before you know, they are in the printing press. They are printing all the pamphlets and all over the city. They have put, come here, the presence of God, magnified worship, anointed word, five people. Once the worship team stands, the whole congregation is gone. This is the problem. It's our problem. Everywhere you are caught in this trap. And God says, be careful. Careful. Because that's how the world is framed. Because that's the spirit of the enemy. Because he was not satisfied it being there, up there, just next to God. He wanted to lift his throne above that God. I mean, he got everything in eternity. He should have been the most happy, joyous cherub in the world. You are leading worship. Anointed cherub. More beautiful than anybody. More wise than anybody. From the day you were made, you were made perfect. Why are you not happy? Because I look, Jesus is better than me. I want to be like him. His whole battle is with Jesus. I want to be higher than him. Dissatisfied. Understand how the enemy knows that and brings this bargaining chip. You know what? You get this, you will be better than that brother in church. You get this, you will be better than that woman in that, in your office. I've told this before, but it's a funny thing that when I go to use old days, when I used to go to these offices, insurance, bank and all this thing, you know, I, old mindset, I, if bank opens at 9.30, I am there at 9.29 before it to open, thinking I can finish my work and go. But you know how government offices are, they will come, they will put their dabba there, then they will take their kerchief, then they will sit down. What I've noticed is, if there are ladies who sit over there, I'm standing there watching. The lady has come and sat. Another lady comes in, who is also an employee working over there. This lady turns. And we look from her feet. You'll smile. What are you wearing? Your sandals? Your sari? Everything has been measured. Consistently have seen it in office after office after office. And then when you go out and passing the shopping mall and the devil tells you, you know, you buy that, you will look better than her tomorrow. This is how our mind works. Our mind works. Men also are falling into that trap these days. The seventh one, one of the most powerful tools the devil has used in the 6,000 years of human history. Romans 8, 35 to 37. I put it under the title of Operation. 35 to 37. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Whole list is given. Oppression. I put this under, the whole thing under oppression. The devil brings oppression. The question is, Remember, a couple of days back in the daily meditation I had sent you, oppression can come in many forms. It can begin in family. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, I have come to bring a sword. 
The minute you get saved in an unbelieving family or a nominal Christian family, the sword comes. God says it can arise from your own home. Oppression for Joseph did not begin in the from the Canaanites. It began in his own home. Oppression for Jesus was rejected by his own family and his own brothers. Oppression can begin in your own home because you chose to believe and suddenly you are different from the others who are following their old religion. Oppression from family. Everywhere, oppression from family. It can come from the society. It can come at a national level. Oppression is coming. It is here. It is coming in much more force. It is coming. When oppression comes, you call it tribulation, distress, persecution, whatever, peril, the sword. Finally, it will come to this sword where you will have to choose to live or die for Christ. They said, if you choose to live for Christ, you die. That's how it ends with the sword. Then, what do you do? Millions upon millions buckle under that pressure and they cave in. That's why you may think we are being too hard on you as young people and saying, don't follow this cloth pattern, don't follow this pattern, don't follow this pattern. Why? Whatever we are doing. We are teaching you to resist temptation at the lower levels now so that your will is strengthened and your self-control is says You are learning how to say no, 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 and yes to God, no, 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 yes to God, so that one day when you face this, your answer is very clear. I choose to die. But when you are struggling and falling before a mirror, how will you stand before the sword? It's a question. The sword will come. There are seasons of peace, but in every nation the sword has come. Because God allows. He says, test. See, if my children are worthy. He says, I am not worried when my children die. If they are not overcome, they still come home. We are worried, oh, your death is coming. God said, I am not worried. The keys of death is in my hands. I am not worried. I'm not worried about it. But I want to see how you come through death. I want you to come through as an overcomer. So that's where persecution comes, tribulation comes, oppression comes. All this list. But in this list, I want to look at one strange one. This is the strange one. Or nakedness. In the middle of it, there is something called nakedness there. Nakedness today in the Western world especially is not oppression, it is fashion. It's becoming very prevalent in India also. So it's not talking about naked, that nakedness, right? What does it mean? It is a fear of public exposure. It's a trap into which even great men of God were caught. You see, we create, cultivate and create a public image. Then we fall. Now we are trying desperately to cover our fall and keep that image. That is the trap of the enemy. Saul has fallen. Saul has been disregarded by God. God said, I have taken the kingdom away from you. What is he telling Saul? What is he telling Samuel? Stand by me, please. I know what you told me about God. I heard. But you do one thing. People don't know that. Who don't know that? People don't know that. Stand by me. So that the people will think 
because you are standing by me, God is with me. Let me ask you this simple question. David, David, the same man who trembled when he had cut a small piece from King Saul's robe. And he was so broken, says, I touched the anointed of God, I touched the... He was such a sensitive man of God. Why did he later go to the extent of lying, trying to deceive Uriah, getting him drunk, and to the point of writing this letter, sending him to the battlefront, I'm getting him killed. He was guilty of everything. Why? Why did he go to that whole extent? Because he was afraid of his image going in the eyes of the people. What do people think of me? King David, the great worshipper, the champion. They should not know. That's how we fear this. Where there is no other kind of tribulation and persecution, we fear this more than anything else. Many, many families are standing together only because they are afraid of nakedness. Oh, nobody should know what's happening in our house when they are outside. Hello. Inside? But nobody should know. That's the problem. Nakedness. God wanted to set David free. So he sent Nathan. Nathan used a little example. And when he said, who is that man? Nathan said, you are that man. You are that man. That was a turning point for him. If he had denied, no, I am not that man, he is gone. But he said, I am that man. I am that man. And he is free. He is free. That is the question. That is why the Bible is full of these examples. Afraid of nakedness. Because we have this public image. And we want this public image. We have this reputation. We love this reputation. But what is written about Jesus? Jesus made himself of no reputation. How can you make yourself of no reputation? That's interesting, no? There are two ways you can make yourself of no reputation. One way is going, doing terrible things that destroys your reputation. Your reputation is gone. Second thing is that doing right, but allow people to talk ill about you. He never defended himself. They said, we know who we are. We are Abraham's sons. We are not of illegitimate birth. What did they mean? We have heard stories about your mother. Who knows who your father is? You are a wine-bibber. You are the one who goes with prostitutes and publicans and all, all the time they are with you. Never defended him. So by the time he's finishing, he has no reputation at all. He made himself of no reputation. He never fought for a reputation. He was not afraid of this. Not afraid. Because he said, I know what I am inside. The only one matters is what my father says. So at the age of 30, his father says, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. Mount of transfiguration, he told Peter, you shut up, listen to him. I am pleased with him. But we are afraid of nakedness. 
We should not be afraid because the scripture is clear. Whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. And the sun can set free only those who are not afraid of being stripped. Lord, this is what I am. God says, you are free. You can go. So, Samaritan woman wants to be free. She is terrified. Jesus comes and strips her. She's got it. You had five husbands and you're now living with the sixth one. That is a crucial. What are you going to do now with that information? You have two choices. Either liar. Where did you come from? I know always these Jewish rabbis lie. They never like Samaritans. You treat us like dogs and you always talk ill about us. She didn't say anything. She said, ah, you must be a prophet. Everything you said is true. Jesus said, you are free. You are free. Nakedness should not scare us. And God comes to expose us. He is not coming to humiliate us. He is coming to set us free. Nakedness cannot separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. We are secure in it. We are secure in it. It's absolutely secure. But so many people are running as prisoners with a false covering. Can fig leaks cover your sin, Adam and Eve? No. No. It can never. can never cover. If you saw fig leaks was covering yourself and you are so well covered when you heard the sound of his footsteps, why did you hide? Because you realize suddenly you are not covered. Nicodemus who comes in the night. He's somebody who understood you are from God. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to do the things you are doing. But when did he come? In the night. Why? Ruler of the Sanhedrin. Pharisee among Pharisees. How can I go in the daytime? People will see me going to this young new rabbi who is not even a Pharisee. So he came in the night. You know, police station, whenever people are caught and the TV camera comes, have you seen everybody standing like this? I find it so funny. When you were doing it, you were so brave and your face was open. Now, before the police, why are you all standing like this? That is Nicodemus. He's struggling. He wants to know the way to life. He wants it all. But I have a reputation. Who am I? Ruler in the Sanhedrin. How can I come during the daytime? Others will know. So he comes in the night. But scripture says God is light. God is light. And we are afraid of the light. But remember, don't be afraid of the light. The only ones who are afraid of the light are cockroaches. Don't be a spiritual cockroach. Are you getting the traps in which the enemy puts you into? Subtly. But the worst, more than any of this, for me personally when I look at it, the worst, the most subtle and the worst, it's the worst because of the subtlety of it that it escapes almost everybody. That everybody falls into it for a season or more, almost everybody. What is that? Unforgiveness. The biggest lie of the enemy is he, she or she does not deserve your forgiveness. You don't know what they did. The problem is 
we agree with that statement. But we forget, we too don't deserve the forgiveness that God showed us. Colossians 3.13 Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? The same way. In the same way. As Christ forgave. As Christ forgave. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now from Christ, the next letter is saying, God has forgiven you in Christ. So our forgiveness, the comparison God says is the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness of God. Romans 15 and verse 7. Therefore receive we one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That is the danger we are caught in. Now we are not saying what they did to you or anybody was right. Not. We are not saying that to forget what they did and go make peace. And we are not. God says pursue peace as far as possible. Some people it's not possible. But forgiveness is a choice you make in your heart. And from the little child onwards is caught in that trap. What is the little child? The, the big ones who have power, what do they do? They beat each other. The politician who has got power gets hired some gunda to kill that person. What do we do? Cut it. Cut it. We don't talk. We cut them off. We don't talk. God says, be careful. That's the subtle trap of the enemy because God has said, if you don't forgive, I will not forgive. I will not forgive. That is something with which you guard your heart always because God in Christ forgave us in the same manner. God says, forgive. That was the eight things. There's a lot more, but we are not looking at it. The eight things. What was the first thing? Enticement. Beware of the enticement. The two types of enticement. Second, beware of deception. Third, don't despise your inheritance. Fourth, majority opinion almost always is wrong. Don't follow the crowd. Fifth, the false security of secrecy. Nobody knows, so that means it's fine. Sixth, be careful when the devil starts bargaining. The bargaining power of the devil, he starts bargaining. Okay, and finally, he appeals to all the three, and even the strong ones fall for it. The seventh one we looked, and the general title of oppression, and the main thing in that I said was the thing about nakedness. But God is light. God is light. We are not, we don't, we don't have a reputation. 
don't have a reputation. Don't guard a false reputation. We don't have a name. We don't have a name. Everybody is fighting here for a name. As I close the illustration, I gave you years back and often times after that. Everybody is fighting for a name in this world. In India, especially, it doesn't matter what caste you are. However lower caste you are in India, in that lower caste also there are subsections. So if you have a marriage proposal into that lower caste subsection and it is from a subsection that is lower than you, he will say, no, I am higher than you. I've heard it, that's why I'm saying it. Because somebody told me about Kerala, there is one big group called Nayars. They said, Nayars can be a barber or can be a Nambiar also. So which Nayar are you? And both the Nayars who are talking are born again believers. Forget the Hindus. We are not talking about Hindus here. We are talking about those who have taken the name of Christ. Ready or Rao? Because everybody is fighting for a name. You touch my name. Immediately everything is gone. Sister, you are looking old today. What did you say? What did you say? Be careful. Just say you are looking tired. Say you are looking tired. Name. Name. You want this name, this reputation. That's what Joseph is walking around. Dad's got all these kids. I'm the smart one. Dad loves me. Look at my coat. Yours are all ordinary coats. Mine, multicolor. When your father is sending you from where he is to Sishan, which is 70, 50 miles away, and you are going another 10 miles away to where your brother, 70 miles, why do you want to wear this rainbow going like a peacock? Why do you want to identify yourself like that, Joseph? What's wrong with you? No, but dad gave it to me. That's because I'm special. I told you, my mother is sitting over here. I told you, you know, the day she told me in class five, you get first in all the papers. It is a common exam, entrance board exam in those days because my, they would never make me first in the class because I happened to be their son. So I always used to fight with me. I know I have done well, but you don't give me this. That's because you are a son. People will say we are showing partiality. So you do it in the board exam. And I promise you, if you do it, I'll give you my watch. It was an HMT sauna with a gold chain and I got it. The first two days I walked like this. I mean, I'm the only boy in the whole school with a watch. How can you put your hand down? Marks forgotten, everything forgotten. This is the main thing. Because from there also you get some glory. The name, the name, the name. Then go to Potiphar's house. Sold. That coat is stripped off. Brothers, the first thing they do is that that fellow is coming. A dreamer is coming. Let's take his coat. That coat is gone. Potiphar's house goes as a slave. Young man, teenager, 17 year old fellow comes. Before you know, he's the top guy. Now a new coat has come. Everybody has a slave's coat. I have two stripes here. I am the head of the house. Nice coat. It's feeling good. I'm good. I'm the smart fellow here. Makes all these statements and before you know the coat is in another woman's hand. That coat also gone. Hmm? Then now you are in prison. Before you know he's reached to the top of the prison so he has also a special prison coat there. Finally, every coat is removed 
and is standing there before the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, you speak like one who's got the spirit of God in you. Therefore, your interpretation is true. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to make you number two and put everything in your charge. I am going to give you a new coat and a new name. God says, everyone who is after a name and a reputation in this world will lose it. But he who loses it for my name's sake will gain it in that day. You will receive a new name. There you will get a new name which no man knows. You will get a new name there. A new coat there. A new reputation there. So the world will try to pull you in this direction. God also pulls you in another direction. And as we saw, it's an act of will. You choose. You choose. To choose, you need information. And that's this. This is the information. So God says, my people shall not walk by sight. They shall walk by faith. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise as we are, Lord. Starting, started the tenth year of our life as a body of believers. We believe you will take us further ahead in this journey, in a walk with you. A closer walk with you for everyone in the church, from the youngest to the oldest. A closer walk, a closer walk. A walk keeping our eyes fixed on you. So many young people in your house today are commit them into thy hands. So much pressure of the world upon them. But Father, I pray they will stand in your strength. And withstand the pressure to conform to the pattern of the world. And I pray they will work, walk with you. They will not only stand, they will also walk with you. Touch us, help us, empower us, and speak to us daily, Lord, so that we may choose life and blessings every day. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, thank you. You brought us to your house safely, and Father, I pray, take us back also home safely. We just surrender our lives into the hands once again. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.